And welcome everyone to the Jeanette Byro podcast. I am so thrilled to have you guys here joining in as we dive into the world of expanding consciousness. I am a medium, a channeler, and this podcast is an outlet for me to share messages from the Ascended Masters to light beings to archangels and more. And especially, I love sharing the messages from other people on this planet who are exploring consciousness for themselves and willing to share their experiences so that we can all learn because no experience is the same. So thanks for joining the show. I hope you enjoy it. Good morning, everyone. How are you all doing? Welcome to the Jeanette Byro podcast. I'm so glad to have you all here as we dive into part two of the Q&A. Today is going to be great. We've got lots of questions still to answer. Now, I do want to say that there are a few questions that I am going to answer on a Making Sense of Life video um, because I think it's a really neat singular piece to ponder and not to have it wrapped up with all the other questions. Um, so for some of you, definitely check out the Making Sense of Life videos. If you're listening to the podcast right now on an audio platform, the Making Sense of Life videos are available on YouTube under Jeanette Byro Medium. And those are basically answers to a lot of just general questions about spiritual things, about mediumship, about uh, star alignments, planetary alignments, like questions that I find come up often or questions that people send in. So uh, some of your questions may be answered in that video if you don't hear them today, okay? Majority, though, will be answered today, so let's dive right in. Okay, so first question is, um, where are we here? <laughs> Good start, Jeanette. Good start. Okay, here we go. All right. Are we here to transform everything back into its original state of unconditional love? Is the true essence of unity consciousness that comes from the wholeness of our being, which is all that is. So the first thing I want to say is there is so much more than we can understand as humans um, about how this reality works, how this experience works, and how even the greater realities work. Anytime I've asked my guides, especially the three guides of the light, because they are very high light consciousness, Anytime I've asked them to explain further, they will try and explain, but they always say our understanding here as humans when in consciousness like we are is but a drop in the bucket of the ocean. And so if we try and expand our minds as, as far as we can to understand the concepts, we're still trying to understand them based on a known 3D reality. But really when we're talking about unity consciousness and the wholeness of our being, we're talking about something far beyond the constructs, the physics, the current narratives of our reality. And so we can't fully understand all of it. Like it, it, we will always have more questions and some which can be answered and some which can't. So I thought that was a very fair point uh, because I have definitely asked them some deep questions and I'm like, well, what about this? And what about this? And then that doesn't make sense. And they're like, you're not going to be able to wrap your head around all of it uh, in the complexity that it is because they say at the same time, it's also extremely simple, right? So then we have this kind of like paradox, like meeting right there. And that just makes our minds go like, what? This doesn't make sense. So that's the first piece. But in terms of um, 
you know, transforming everything back to love into its original state, like that piece. Yes, absolutely. Our individual soul journey is to rise up through conscious choice and conscious awareness that our thoughts and our perceived limitations have a direct effect on our growth as a human soul. Like it absolutely does. So we are here to transform as much as we can back to a state of love, but that has to happen through the experience of gaining wisdoms, through events, through things, consciously choosing what we want to do with that because of what we've learned and then acting on that and then recognizing our frequency changing, right? So there's a lot of pieces involved in that. Um, So the biggest, most easiest way to say is like, yes, absolutely. We are transforming everything back because we will at one point, as I understand, come to a point in which we won't have to incarnate on earth anymore unless we want to. That's often how they explain the role of ascended masters is that they have ascended through the experiences of incarnating on earth and therefore have decided to come back as a master teacher, a master guide to help us because they've gone through all those parts and what being human can offer a soul in terms of growth and transformed so much back to a state of unconditional love. And so they're here to try and help humans do that. So that's kind of roundabout way to answer that question. It's a beautiful question. It's just very complex depending on which tangent we take. So I hope that helps explain it a little bit for right now. Now, the next question was, how can you support children to keep their connection to source, to angels, to spirit guides, all of that kind of thing? Now, I want to say the the biggest, most consistent piece is talking about it and normalizing conversations in your home. So, I mean, I can only speak on the experiences I've had either with my children or with other people and that the biggest key piece was normalizing it. If they talk to you about an imaginary friend is you know, not kind of making fun of it or making light of it, but saying, okay, what is your friend like? And what do they look like? And, you know, maybe they're describing a grandparent and maybe this is very confronting to you, but instead of being like, how is that possible? It's kind of like, ask them more questions and be curious, but normalize it as well as don't force it either. I know that my kids are both quite in tune, but I notice how their energies kind of weave in and out of when they're more active in it and when they're less active. There's times where my daughter, for example, really feels connected to spirit and really feels like she's being guided. And then there's other times where she's like, you know, I just, I don't feel and see them right now. And um, that's okay, right, mom? And I'm like, yeah, it's absolutely okay. And when it kind of comes back in, if it does, then that's absolutely okay. So it's kind of just really normalizing when they're in flow with it, normalizing what they're saying, providing a safe space for what they say to you. Now, that's another really important one because oftentimes kids are trying to explain something to us, especially when it comes with spirit and based on our own fears or our own beliefs, we'll kind of like squash what they're saying. And then they feel, they're quick to feel a judgment of, oh, that's not normal, or I shouldn't see that or know that or hear that. So again, the more they talk about, the more you normalize it, also not making it a huge deal, but just again, normalizing it, make them feel normal in it will most likely help them keep that connection. Now, I do also want to say that there are so many more souls coming in now, especially in the last 10 years, I've noticed where they're coming in with less karmic baggage from lifetimes before, which is allowing them to be more fully present and open. And so a lot more kids are coming in 
psychically aware, uh, even mediumistically aware, and that being a very natural state to be. So we're seeing a new influx of soul energetics coming in too. So um, again, normalizing it will be really beneficial, but we're also going to notice more kids having more natural abilities, which I think is really exciting. So I hope that helps answer that question. All right, the next one is, is part of our soul still in heaven? I heard not all is reincarnated. My husband passed away and I was wondering if there is a part of my soul with him in heaven and not just here. Now, I have to say, I sure feel for you with this question of having lost your husband. And um, this is a beautiful question too. And I think something that many people will benefit from. So the first thing to think about is the concept of the higher self. So if you think about the imagery of a pie right now, right? Like picture a pie and picture that pie cut into many different slices, however many you want. Each slice represents a lifetime in which you have been incarnated somewhere. And let's just focus on earth specifically. So there are many, many, it could be hundreds of different slices of pies, maybe some people's thousands. But what happens is every time you have a lifetime, a slice of that higher self pie of you comes down into an embodiment. So you come down embodying as much as you can in that lifetime of your higher self. But that also means there's all of that other aspect, your higher self still in heaven, still on the other side. And so my belief personally is absolutely, yes, there is a part of your higher self that is definitely still connected with your husband on the other side. But there's also probably a big aspect of him still very much connected to you on this side while you are finishing and moving through your journey on this planet, right? So we're not as limited and separated as sometimes we think we are, yet at the same time, we are in a way that they're not physically embodied anymore. So it's like the two things are true at the same time, even though it seems like it should be one or the other, which is why I really love your question. Because yes, absolutely, a part of your soul, your higher self is with him, on the other side, but he's also still with you here, but in spirit form. So I hope that helps explain that. And again, beautiful question. And my heart really does go out to you. Absolutely. Okay. Next one is, um, a couple of folks told me that my grief was holding my husband's soul from ascending to heaven. And so they're wondering how much of that is really true. How much can we hold a soul back? This is a great question, um, and it's not a black or white answer. So I'll give you the variety. So most of the time, our grief won't hold somebody back because they are so well supported on the other side that when they cross over, they, you know, they have their guides, angels, family members, friends receiving them. They feel the wholeness. They feel the complete energy on the other side and they're like, okay, I realized this was my exit. Okay. And again, I'm giving you general explanations for what can be very unique. So this soul is on the other side and they're very whole and complete. And so in that case, your grief wouldn't hold them back. There are times though, that they may hold themselves back from coming near. So you can really feel them for a while. If they feel their energy is holding you back and staying stuck in your grief. So sometimes I have seen souls who've crossed over and the person that comes to see me for a reading is like, you know, I just don't feel them anymore. Where are they? Why don't they come? I need them so badly in my life, in my presence. And the spirit says, 
the more that I'm around them, the more they feel me. And although it's beautiful in that moment, it's holding them back from moving forward. So I need to actually hold my energy back a little bit so they can start their healing because my energy is only holding them in grief. So there's that version. There are some versions though, where depending on how somebody died, sometimes when it's a accident and the soul had no preparation for it, um, they will feel so bad for the fact that they left that the grief can hold them more in a kind of 4D presence. It can hold them really near and, and they're not fully crossing and releasing entirely. So they're kind of staying a little bit more earthbound. That can happen and I have seen that happen, but it's not as common as we think. Most of the time the soul is actually very whole and complete and they're more so wanting to support us in our grief and moving forward. Now, this also doesn't mean that your grief is bad and you have to hurry up and move through it. You need to move through it at the time and rate that is within your flow. There's no rushing grief. Grief is grief and it's so incredibly unique to everybody. So really it's about moving through it, trying to make amends in the ways that you can, holding space for it, um, and really believing that In this case, I have to say, and this is what's really interesting, is very specifically to your question here, I don't get a sense that your grief is holding your husband back. The energy is really strong and pulling me really strong to say specific to this person's question, no, you are not holding your husband's energy back. Okay, so that's really interesting that that's coming through uh, strong enough to kind of push into that. So in this case, definitely not. Um but yeah, so I hope that helps kind of explain the way that grief can kind of play a role. Again, it's not black and white. There's many ways. So um, that would be something that would be beneficial to connect in with a medium if you're feeling a worry about that specifically, and then they can give you a more specific answer to your unique situation. All right, next one is, I feel very much drawn to trance mediumship, but there's that little voice in the back of my mind that can be very loud telling me I should stay away from it. It has to do with a fear of not being able to come back. Can you shed your light on this? Now that's really interesting. So for those of you that aren't familiar with trance mediumship, that is essentially yet a deeper level of mediumship. So again, in my Making Sense of Life videos, I have done one and it's pretty recent so you can find it. Again, that's on YouTube. Uh, the difference between mediumship and channeling. Now, the difference between regular mediumship, like I just kind of did with that last question, and trans mediumship is regular mediumship, the medium is the third party still consciously participating in the reading. Okay, so as you could see, I'm giving an answer, but I feel spirit coming through, and so I'm being that third party translator or interpreter giving the information. Okay, but I'm still very present. Transmediumship, there's different kind of levels of transmediumship. For some, people will go into almost a sleeping state. They'll actually lay down. There's some that were called the sleeping prophet back in the day. They'll lay down and they'll, they'll look as if they're sleeping. And then spirit moves in very, very close to their, their being, their body, and actually moves through them, speaks through them. But the person has no recollection because to them, their experiences are sleeping. Now, this differs from channeling because channeling is a, you know, we got mediumship, which is interpreting. Then we have channeling, which is letting them come kind of straight through you. But then trans mediumship takes it that third level 
where more of you is disengaged and you actually don't really usually remember anything from it. You're either asleep or you have zero recollection of what has come through at all. So that's not a negative though. That's not a scary thing, but it's also not something to just dive into if you don't have someone that can mentor you into it, someone that can safely guide you into that. Because when you're doing transmediumship, you're really opening up your energy in a very vulnerable way, which is again, totally okay. But it's just like in life, when you're being vulnerable, you want to be vulnerable with people that you feel safe with, not just anyone, right? And so there isn't a fear of not being able to come back. So first of all, you are always connected to your body by a tether. Many people talk about it as the silver cord. You're always connected to your silver cord until the time in which you physically release your body and you die and cross over. Okay. So in any kind of trans mediumship, um, a spirit can't take over your body because you hold the key, you have the tether and that is yours alone. Okay. So something to remember, but in order to learn how to fully get yourself into a trance state and then bring yourself back out of a trance state and then recover from that trance state, having someone to teach you a mentor of sorts would be very beneficial Um, Because there's a lot that goes into trance. There's a lot about training your mind to step out of the way. There's a lot of energy expenditure that happens in that trance state. And therefore, there's a lot of grounding and clearing of your own energy to bring your energy back fully after. It's not for the faint of heart, as I believe. Um, And it takes a lot of commitment. Um, For some people, they go into trance state and get a lot of information, but then they need to basically sleep or be in bed for the next day, day and a half. And they have to like super rehydrate. They can only do trance, you know, maybe once a week. It just really depends. There's so many variables with trance mediumship. So my recommendation would be to, you know, learn everything you can about it. Find a group or a spiritualist church or some sort of very supportive, well-experienced group or mentor to help teach you trance. And trance wouldn't be something I would dive into right away. I would get to know all the different layers of mediumship channeling and then get into trance because you'll have a way better grounding of knowing how to support your energy, how to discern which spirits are coming to connect with you, which ones you're open to. Like there's some trance mediums that will only allow one spirit to come to the come to them like one specific guide only because they understand that frequency. So something to consider. Uh, So I hope that helps explain a little bit. Okay. Next question is, can a medium tell a person his or her exact date, the place and the cause of passing if the person is interested? Is it set before we are born? So in general, most of the time, a medium will not tell you this information because most of the time they won't get that specificity either. A medium could get a piece of information that, you know, maybe somebody is approaching an exit potential, but there are so many things involved in this. So with exit potentials, first of all, there is so much variability within that exit potential. I have seen, I have different visual indicators in my mind's eye of where a soul is in terms of how close they are to an exit. And I have seen a soul essentially what I would have thought was moments away from passing or that any, like within that day, there would be a phone call only to then check in later that day and see that they completely changed their mind and they weren't anywhere near where they were in that moment, right? The way I see it is like a slide. And if someone's at the top of the slide, I know they're probably going to be taking an exit. 
but the timeline from the top to the bottom of the slide can be three to six months. So where they are on the slide can give me indicators, but I have seen a soul off the slide, like they've gone down off, they're in the air, only to check back in and they're off the side, standing to the side saying, I changed my mind, right? So if someone's not at a final exit point, they still as a soul have variability in whether they want to stay or go. So that's one piece. As well, the way in which it can happen can vary because with premonitions or precognitions, predictions, any of those, um, a medium is only given a snapshot of a highest potential in the moment in which they're given that snapshot. So for some, it could end up being exactly as the medium sees it because everything aligned for it to happen that way. But the longer the duration from the moment of the snapshot to the um, you know, predicted time, the longer that that time frame is, the more variability there is for it to change. So that's why predicting death is very, very challenging. It's very difficult. Um, even in the cases of someone that's palliative, even when someone is already in palliative care and maybe they're not even talking at this point anymore, um, that can be a little bit easier to tune into, but even that I have seen where the person is literally ready there, right at the doorway to the other side, but they don't cross for weeks. Where I've seen others where, you know, it's like, yep, this person will most likely cross probably around Thursday. And sure enough, Thursday comes around and they cross over. So the variability is so, so vast. And so for a medium to give an exact date and place um, is very challenging, but it's also a very big, heavy responsibility, which is why a lot of mediums won't even ask that question. Because if we're talking about giving someone information that confronts their mortality, people can make a lot of different decisions based on that answer, right? And what if the snapshot actually ends up not being accurate and then someone makes all these decisions based on that answer? It's, it's very, very challenging. So I'll say that um, I'm not saying this can never happen, but I'm also saying that this probably isn't common for someone to give you such pinpoint details because most of the time it's not in our soul's benefit to even know that either, right? It changes the way that we live our lives. And sometimes we're here to learn some pretty deep lessons based on not knowing. So with the last part of that question is, is it set before we are born? Is the passing or exit date set before we're born? There are Oftentimes in people's blueprints, there are several different exit potentials. So yes, there are several different ones that we can have set in our blueprint. But again, those can change a little bit, but sometimes they could also be the exact same date, right? And, and maybe someone takes their first exit, whereas maybe somebody else takes their very last exit, the very, very last one. Maybe someone goes to take their very last one. And right in that moment, I've seen this where you know, somebody is coding, the spirit told me they were coding and they were literally on the other side, but they said, can I please just have a couple more weeks? I just need a couple more weeks to hang out with my family. And so they came back for a couple more weeks, even though that was their final exit point. So again, the variability is vast, but I love that you asked this question because this is, these are things that people ponder all the time. So I'll leave you guys with that one. Okay. The next one is, um, so these are kind of two questions that I'm going to answer together. So part one is how can we find balance between not burning bridges with people and cutting cords with abusive people? 
as well as since we're all here learning lessons at our own individual pace, how then can we respect a person's soul's journey, but at the same time, tell them how we want to be treated to feel safe. So if we're talking about how can we cut cords with people without burning bridges and how can we, you know, really create a place of safety, um, but also support somebody else. And the main answer to that is boundaries. Truly it's boundaries. What kind of boundaries do you need, first of all, to feel safe, to feel grounded and centered? What does that look like to you? And then reinforcing those boundaries. So for some people, it's like without burning bridges, can you create a boundary with somebody? Can you cut cords, create a boundary where you feel safe? And what does that look like? And what you start out thinking it looks like may need to be adjusted, right? You may have a boundary that you set with somebody and you're like, okay, I cut cords with this person. Um, I'm not open to hanging out with them, but if they text me, I'll respond and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with texting, right? And then maybe you find that during texting, you're like, "Mm, no, I don't think so. Then setting a boundary of not texting anymore, that might be how you change it. So it's really the biggest thing is boundaries. And the more you set boundaries with things that don't align with you, actually, the greater your frequency grows. So it's kind of a beautiful thing. And so that also applies with when somebody else is, you know, going through a soul's journey, but their soul's journey is affecting us, we can still hold space for them, but within a clear boundary for ourselves. And so it's determining what that is, right? And it may be having a conversation with somebody where it's like, you know, I am holding space and I am praying for you. I am, you know, I'm going to give you this amount of money to help you on your way. But at the same time, I also need to set a boundary here where I am not available for, you know, A, B, C, or D. Those are my boundaries, but I'm still holding space for you and I'm willing to help you here, right? So again, it's really figuring out what are your rules of engagement, essentially, what does that look like? And then clearly putting them out there. Okay, next question is, if we need to trust our own personal journey and that we are right where we are supposed to be, why do major life changes like career shift, filing for divorce, uh, resigning from a toxic workplace, why did those major life changes make someone feel more empowered? Now, the beautiful thing is trusting our own personal journey is not just blind trust, or it's not just trusting the journey and not taking action in it. The biggest thing of our life journey here that I have come to really understand from my guides, from my NDE, from, you know, talking to spirits on the other side, is it is so much about co-creation. So it's kind of like us taking a step and the spirit world takes a step or the universe. Every time we step, they step. And so we need to remember that major life changes will come in sometimes based on something you may have created in your soul's blueprint, so a bigger destiny point, but they also may be be created by the conscious choices you've made that have led you to get to a place through your soul growth and through your ascension and healing to, you know, maybe leave a uh, toxic workplace or an abusive spouse, right? So your conscious choice, your actions, your free will choices have led you to grow through that thing, to get to a point of a major life change. So really they make us feel more empowered because we step into our own sense of embodiment, our own willful desire, and we consciously choose to do something different. Now, every time we consciously choose, 
whatever the choices are, whatever we consciously and meaning, we really look at it and think, how does this make me feel? What do I think about it? What do I think I should do? What do I feel I should do? And then we take the action. That's consciousness behind the choice. Every time you do that, you feel more empowered because you checked in with all parts of self before you made that decision. So you made a whole being decision, a mind, body, spirit decision. Every time we do that, we will feel an energy of more empowerment, a higher frequency, um, and more personal, authentic truth. So it's very powerful to consciously choose. So I would encourage everyone that's kind of very curious about that question is to, you know, go through the next day and just notice how many times you consciously chose something, even the simplest things, right? Like maybe for lunch, you're like, oh, I'll just grab something quick, uh, whatever, you know, fast food is just really close. I'll, I'll grab it. But if you stop for a second, you're like, wait a minute, what would I really like to do in this moment? I would really like something a bit healthier. So because I know that will make me feel better later in the day, I'm actually going to take the extra two minutes to, you know, walk around the corner and get the, you know, green bowl or whatever it might be. And I'm going to enjoy that. And so you consciously choose that. And then later in the day, when you're feeling good, you're like, remember, I made that conscious choice and look how I feel now. I just did something awesome for me and I feel more empowered. And that might seem so little, but even the little things with conscious choice make a really big difference. So something to consider. Okay, next one is, are there certain traits that become developed in your higher self that when your soul comes into its several reincarnation experiences, those qualities tend to develop or shine through? And or are there some traits that become more developed in your higher self? Example, work ethic, math whiz, musician, kindness, all of that kind of stuff. So really, this is, um, every time we come, if we go back to that pie example from a couple of questions ago, that higher self pie and the different slices of that pie represent different lifetimes. So every lifetime you come in to learn something new, gain some new kind of wisdom or experience. Some of them you do over a couple of times, but what happens is every time we're reincarnated, we will choose if we want to bring in certain past life experiences that may benefit us in the next lifetime. So what that means is sometimes someone may have really suffered, um, you know, say somebody had cancer in one lifetime and no matter what they did, it just didn't get better. And they really suffered from the experience. They got like a hands-on, really tough experience of cancer. They may come back in the next lifetime and bring in other skills of, say, their, you know, science whiz, their, um, you know, creative side, plus their experience of that, you know, that cancer lifetime. And they come back and they actually become a doctor and a doctor that specializes in cancer treatments and therapies and a doctor that actually really brings in and creates new revolutionary technologies that better benefit the person. And this passion and drive to do so that just keeps pushing them and pushing them to finally discover this thing is actually rooted in a past life in which they suffered from that very thing they're trying so hard in this lifetime to cure or to heal. So there usually is a past life related experience um, plus soul growth. So the soul growth speaks to kindness, meanness, um, compassion, the level of compassion somebody has. 
oftentimes, and again, these are general answers, but oftentimes the more a soul has life experiences on earth and the more wisdom they gain, they kind of inadvertently gain more kindness and gain more compassion because every time you complete a lifetime, you cross back over to the other side, you review everything you did and you come face to face with things you learned. And so that's like soul growth. And so the more that someone can embody kindness and compassion while embodied, like in a 3D life, usually means they have had a lot of soul growth already. So it's a combination of soul growth experience gained, kind of like uh, time spent doing, as well as specific past life related experiences. So that being said too, to add one other part to this is knowing that we can then consciously in meditation connect in with our higher self and bring down pieces that we feel might benefit us in this lifetime. So an example of that could be doing a meditation with your higher self and saying, okay, I'm really struggling with um, this part. You know, I, I need some help with this, whatever it may be. Like, I don't understand this technology. Is there some file some piece of that pie in my higher self that can help me with that. Can I bring down some stuff? And so when we realize we can communicate with our higher self like that and actually interact with it and, and bring in more aspects of the higher self, we realize we're really unlimited in what we can do in this lifetime right now. We don't have to just wait for the next lifetime. If we realize we have that access by asking, by spending time, by you know, bringing down that knowledge while we raise our frequency here, we can actually continually be bringing in more and more of our higher self during this lifetime, which is really powerful. So I would encourage you guys to try that in your meditations. It might not come through with an instant download right away, but over time, there's a lot of parts that you can bring in from your higher self. And I know that's something that I've done uh, many times over. So it's definitely something worth trying. So I hope that helps uh, explain it right now. Okay, the next one for today is um, hoping you might share anything your guides have shared with you about the experience of dementia, including Alzheimer's. This is really interesting. And one thing that I've really seen is for people that are experiencing that, experiencing that is they don't experience time the same way that we do. So we here watching a family member struggling from that, we will see that for a period of time, a couple of years maybe, they seem like they are lost. They don't know where they are, what they're doing, depending on the severity of it. Their experience though is more like being in a fog. And I've had spirits explain this to me a couple of times after crossing over. They don't experience time the same, so they simply felt like they were in the fog. They were walking in the fog, but it didn't feel like five years in a fog. It just simply was until it wasn't, right? Which is different than our experience here of a certain amount of time. Now, when I say this fog, that's how they tend to show it to me over and over. So the chaos that maybe we perceive when we observe them in this world is not quite what they feel on the other side. There's actually a lot of their soul that is actually removed from their being. Like there's more of them on the other side, but it's still foggy because they're deeply connected to their body. And so they're simply sort of in a state of, um, of a void for a little while. But again, it's the time is not the same amount of time as it is here. And every time that I've spoken to someone who passed from that, um, they are able to gather their soul very fast on the other side. Like they don't 
It doesn't mean that then they're lost when they cross over. It's actually a relief when they cross over, but it's not as burdensome for them as we perceive it from our perspective. So that's something to keep in mind. Okay. And then the other question is, what is it like for souls while sick on earth? What is it like when the soul is released from the body? So the soul while sick on earth, um, is, it's very interesting. And again, it's very varied. And this is only my understandings from what I've learned up to this point, right? So again, I'm not a professional, but I have seen many things in regards to this. So I do want to say that, but a soul while sick on earth often, again, general, but often has a perspective of what the person or the being is learning. And so there's a deep support for having the person learn or gleam everything they can from that experience, make the most of it, gain everything possible from it. And the soul is in fact so supportive of the person to move through it with the highest consciousness. So again, if you're having that experience of being sick, connecting into your higher self would be really beneficial. Um, I know I did that a lot when I was, you know, really struggling prior to my NDE. And so the soul has just a different perspective of what is being gained by that experience. And it doesn't often match with how the physical person is experiencing it. Because again, we have to honor as well, not just the soul, but the human part of self that's experiencing the sickness. That's a really big deal. That's a really hard thing. And the soul really supports that. But the two perspectives are not always the same. So sometimes that kind of helps because in those moments, we're like, why would I ever choose this? I would never choose this. And from a human perspective, absolutely. But from the soul's perspective, there's wisdom being gained in that experience. And now in terms of what is it like when the soul is released from the body, how soon does clarity and consciousness return? Uh, this is really quite beautiful and also very varied. But the release from the body for most people is so fast. It's just so seamless. It's just like a breath in. And when you breathe out, you're out. And I have seen time and time again, souls say, I can't believe how effortless that was when I let go or when I transitioned. For the most part, it's just so seamless and easy and it feels like a relief. Kind of like the relief I had. I once had them try and explain to me like, well, what do you mean? Like, what exactly does that feel like? And one of the greatest examples they gave me is you know when it is wintertime and it's really cold and you're so bundled up, like you're crazy bundled up and you need to be bundled up because it's so cold outside. But when you come inside and you can take off your massive jacket, take off your scarf, take off your gloves, take off your toque, take off your extra jacket under your jacket, take off your ski pants and your snow boots and your extra socks and you're just standing there in you know your underlayer, that relief you feel when you're just like, ah, it just feels lighter. That's how they often explain the feeling. That was one of the most beautiful ways they explained it that I could understand. I'm like, oh yeah, okay, I get that. And so um, that's one of the ways in kind of which it feels. The clarity of consciousness for them once they cross over can return very fast too. For some, it's instantaneous. Um, there are a few souls sometimes that depending how they passed, especially if there's drugs involved, that kind of skews the mental state a little bit. They can be in a bit of a state of a spin. So it takes them a little bit longer to ground themselves on the other side. But remember, if ever they pass that way, 
If someone overdoses on drugs, that does not mean all of them are in a spin. For some, it is still very quick that they come back into clarity. For those that are kind of stuck in a spin, they're always surrounded though by spirit, by loved ones. And the person, I've talked about this before, will notice when they're ready to essentially lift up their head and look around. They'll notice they are supported. So the consciousness I have seen before, uh, one time I had a very, very young um, baby come through who had passed and it wasn't even 24 hours when I connected into them since they passed and they had full clarity, full clarity. I have talked to others who passed a couple of years before and they spent time in a resting place before they came back to full clarity. But even in a state of resting place, they're in a lot of clarity, but they're taking time for their soul to just further gather more pieces, more fragmented aspects of self. Um, and that resting place can look like anything. Like I said, it's beautiful. It can be a hammock. It can be fly fishing on the river. It can be in a cozy bed. Like it's, it can be whatever they want it to be. So yeah, that's what I would say about that. Um, Anything else? My guides are just coming through. I'm going to see if they have anything else you want to say about clarity and consciousness. Okay, so they're saying, um, in terms of how soon does clarity and consciousness return, they're saying the gift of that is instant. It is essentially instant. It is completely based on their desire of openness, like how openly ready they are for it, but it is always waiting there and can be instant. So interesting, can be instant. All right, everyone. So that's everything that I have for you today. Thank you so much as always for joining me on the Q&A. I love the Q&A. It just is so much fun. So we're definitely going to do this again. So I'll leave you with that. I hope you guys have a beautiful rest of your day. Remember, if your questions weren't answered in Q&A one or two, part one or two, they will be answered in a Making Making Sense of Life video. So definitely check those out on my YouTube page. And for everything else, do check out avalonspirit.com. So thank you again, everyone. Have a beautiful rest of your day. And again, thank you so much for subscribing and... Uh, sharing this content. If you think anyone else would really benefit, definitely share it. So you guys have a beautiful day. I'll see you later.